This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, since we're leading up to Inner Sanctum, a scary show, a little story about my personal life. As a kid, whenever Mom and Dad were out for the evening, my big sister Eleanor would be left in charge. Hmm. Well, we at that time lived in the country in the outskirts of London, Ontario, and she loved scaring the dickens out of me. I remember so clearly one night in particular, we were tuned into a radio program that Mom and Dad wouldn't have let us li- listen to if they'd been home, Inner Sanctum. During the most scary part of the show, when I was all huddled up on the couch, me gripping my knees that were drawn up to my chest, I heard a small tapping sound coming from the window. I looked, and there was this horrible face glaring back at me. I let out a scream I'm sure the neighbors down the road might have heard. It was my sister with a flashlight under her chin making a scary face. I will never forget that night. Since then, I've always had a love-hate relationship with that show. So, let's see if we can't summon up a few scares for you tonight in the Inner Sanctum episode entitled Edge of Death. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Here's your host at the creaking door. <laughs> Through these portals pass the world's most horrified people. <laughs> oh, what's the matter? Did my happy medium startle you? Sorry, I keep him around to get in the right spirit, you know. <laughs> oh, by the way. If you feel a cold, thin sliver of steel across your neck in the next half hour, sit perfectly still. Someone's got an edge on you. <laughs> Gracious, Mr. Host, I'm afraid I'd have to move fast. Oh, Mary, you must sit still. You wouldn't want to lose your head. Well, I'll remember your advice, Mr. Host. But right now, I have some advice for our Lipton listeners. You know, a teapot can't talk. But if it could, I think it would tell you the same thing that I do about making tea. I think it would probably say... The most delicious tea is the tea with the most flavor. And I'll bet it would cast its vote, as so many folks do, for Lipton tea. Because Lipton's has that grand, brisk flavor. The flavor that's so different from other teas. The flavor that fills your cup with pleasure. You'll taste a world of tangy, full-bodied goodness in Lipton's. It's tea at its tastiest. So make that next pot of tea you brew at your house Lipton tea. And now here's a little tale of horror that speaks for itself. The Edge of Death. Written by Frederick Matho and starring Larry Haynes in the role of Ralph. 
We're going to tell you of a night Satan played a game of murder along a deserted strip of Manhattan's waterfront. For his sport, he chose two friends. For his victim, a woman. And the weapon he suggested he had long ago placed in the hands of another murderer. The weapon was a long, slender, graceful rapier, which first drew blood at the hand of Rasputin, the mad monk of Russia. Denton! Denton O'Brien! Open up! Denton! Rolf! Rolf Vitkin! Well, come on in, man. What's the matter with you? You're soaked, no hat, no coat. Denton, you're my best friend, my only friend. You've got to help me. I just got back from Chicago. I was going to drop over to your shop a little later. You, you go back too late. You could have helped me. No, it, it, it's too late. Well, what's the matter, Ralph? What have you done? Well, what's that in the package? Why, it's the antique sword I gave you when you were married. Ralph! Naked steel always looks different. Coated with blood. Ralph, you fool. You didn't... Yes. I just pierced a woman's heart with that rapier. About 15 minutes ago. Warned you about your temper ever since we were kids. You almost killed me once, do you remember? You warned me about my hobby, too. You said I had a psych... A psych... Psychosis. That's what we psychiatrists call it. Your unnatural love of steel blades, your worship of ancient weapons and tempered steel, it... Well, it's off balance. There's nothing in the world more beautiful than a piece of true hand-forged steel. It's an art as old as man. Yes, I know. We've been over all that before, but... Now you're a murderer. And I want to know everything that happened. It's too late, Denton. I only maybe, came... Maybe I can dig something out of you that might help your defense. Now, Ralph... Close your eyes. Close your eyes and let your mind wander. Tell me the first image you get. Tell me every detail, no matter what. I see the wedding. Here at your house. The guests have left. Ingrid is blonde and beautiful in white satin. She's standing beside me. And you come toward me with a pen. Denton. Oh, it was so good of you to make such a beautiful wedding for us. You are the best, best man ever. Oh, no, no. Maybe, maybe, maybe the best, second best man ever. Ralph was best today. Well, you gave me some stiff competition, Denton. I, I've got another wedding present for you, Ralph. Mm-hmm. I waited till now to bring it out because I, I... I didn't think the others would understand. Here, open it. Well, Do you you like it, Ralph? Is it a good one? This is a good one. It's the most beautiful rapier I've ever seen. The balance and and the lines. Magnificent steel. Look, look, Ingrid. Isn't it wonderful? It will be the very nicest sword in your collection, darling. As well as your last. His last? Oh, yes, yes, then. I promised Ingrid no more auctions. (laughs) And he'll keep his promise this time. I'm going to change, darling. Won't take me long. All right, darling, hurry. You really like that blade, don't you, Ralph? Like it. It's beautiful. Where did you find it? Well, I saw it yesterday in a small, junky antique shop in the village. A little Russian fellow runs it. Oh, did he tell you anything about the blade? I mean, where he got it? No, but he said it was Russian. He said the hilt was uh, black lacquer on rosewood and the steel was superior. Oh, 
said something there. He mumbled out about wanting to get rid of it before the full moon, something about it being an evil thing. Claimed it once belonged to Rasputin, the mad monk of Russia. Say, I wonder if it did. I doubt it. Anyhow, he finished by saying that whoever owned it would have evil luck and failing to get rid of it before the full moon would die by violence. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it back to him if you like, Rob. No, no, not on your life, Tim. But uh, don't mention that nonsense to Ingrid, will you? I remember all that myself, Ralph. I left for Chicago that night. Now, what's the next thing that comes to your mind as important? Well, about three weeks ago, I was working on some knives in the shop. Ingrid had left. I was alone. The shop door opened and she was there. She? Who, Ralph? Stasha. She was beautiful, tall, white as marble, dressed in black, and beautiful. I beg your pardon. What did you say? I'm sorry. (laughs) You said beautiful. There's no cause to be embarrassed. I have heard this said before. Um, What can I I do for you, Miss... Miss... Kossoff. Stasia Kassoff, you own something that I would like to buy. What is it? A rapier, a Russian rapier. I saw it in your window as I passed. It's not for sale. Oh, really? Are you sure? I will pay you well, say, a hundred dollars. Sorry. Very well. Perhaps you might change your mind. Hmm? Here. Here is my card. Come and see me if you do. Well, thanks, but, but I... <laughs> Shall we say before the next full moon, Ralph? <laughs> Ralph, if it weren't for that blood-stained rapier on the table, I'd say you were lying. How could this woman know your name or anything about the legend of the rapier? I know how. What happened then, Ralph? I've handled steel all my life. I've forged it, pounded it, tempered it, ground it to razor edge, and I've never cut myself. After Stasha left, I put the rapier to the stone. And as I worked, I... I kept seeing her eyes in the forge fire, glinting with evil beauty. I kept hearing her voice. Ralph, shall we say before the full moon? Hmm? I turned suddenly to see if she was there, and I tripped. The rapier fell, and I fell against the upturned point. Ah! Go! Go! Ralph! Ralph, what's happened? Ralph! I- I'm all right. Pull it out. Straight out. Oh, no. No, I can't do that. All right, I'll do it then. I'll do it. Oh. Ralph, your arm is all blood. No, it's not bad. It just passed with the flesh called out to burn. Oh, those stupid knives. Why don't you get rid of them? While well, England phoned, it crept over me the deadening certainty that my fate was tied to Stasha Kossoff's. 
that death was lunging at us with Rasputin's rapier. And I was unarmed. I told Ingrid about the woman. I told her about Stasia's offer of $100 for the blade. I shouldn't have. And to turn down $100 for it? Ralph, that's the limit. Ingrid, I can't expect everyone to understand some things about my character, but I do expect you to try. I think I do understand, Ralph. I think you didn't want to sell that thing because you want that woman to come back. That was your first quarrel, Ralph? Yes. There were lots more. Things got worse. We quarreled a lot. It, it wasn't Ingrid's fault. I was changing. I kept thinking of Stasia. Her eyes mocked me. I tore up a card in anger, but I'd memorized the address. It was an old Dutch mansion on Litton Street. I had to see her again. There was a light in the house. And oddly enough, the front door was open a bit. I rang a long time, but no one answered. I obeyed an impulse and walked in. There was a coal fire going in the high-ceiling living room. It cast dancing shadows on a life-sized oil painting above. A cold hand gripped my heart when I saw that painting. It was the painting of a man in a monk's habit. And his gnarled hand rested on the hilt of a jeweled rapier of exquisite beauty. Yes, the man in the picture is long dead. But his mad spirit is in this room. It laughs from within you, Rolf Wittkun. It has seized your body. Stasia. You know, if I were Ralph, I wouldn't be seen dead with somebody else's spirit. You can't tell what will happen to a man when the, the spirit moves him. Goodness, Mr. <laughs> Host. That sword has certainly brought Rolf bad luck. Yes, Mary. It got him in trouble right up to the hilt. And we're only halfway through the story. Oh, yes, there's still a lot more excitement to look forward to. And I think looking forward to things is so much fun. For instance, imagine you're brewing up a pot of Lipton tea. Well, you know there's enjoy enjoyment ahead just as soon as that water starts bubbling in the tea kettle. The very sound of it is warm and cheerful and friendly, like Lipton's itself. And then when you lift that cup to your lips, oh, there's such a deep-down satisfaction in Lipton's brisk flavor because it's so mellow and satisfying, brimming with lively, full-bodied goodness. Yes, all those little promises of enjoyment are completely fulfilled in your first delicious sip of brisk-flavored Lipton tea. Well, you certainly have a point there, Mary. But now, back to Ralph Wiedkin as he tells his friend the events leading to the murder he has committed tonight. He's telling of his first visit to the strange house of Stasia Kassov. So the Kassov woman convinced you that the spirit or the ghost of Rasputin had taken possession of your body. And you fell for it. Oh, I fought against believing it, Tenton. But it did explain so many of the strange promptings that have been stirring me all up inside. Did she say anything more about it? No. I turned to face her. She was a smiling column of white beauty, sheathed in black satin. Miss Kossoff, how is Stasia. it? Stasia. Call me Stasia. How is it you know my name? What, what do you know about the rapier? Does it matter? You have 
changed your mind, perhaps? About selling me your rapier? Hmm? No, I... I came to ask you about it. Oh, you came because you are confused. We will discuss it. But first, let us have some tea. Yes? I examined the room while she was out of it. On the wall across from the fireplace were five oil paintings. All of them portraits of men. At first I thought the light was playing tricks. It wasn't. Each face was painted with closed eyes. Each was a study in sleep. Or death. You like my painting? Come and sit down. We'll have tea and talk. Who are those men you painted, Stasia? The five men you see in those paintings, each own the rapier you now possess. Good Lord. Then they're... Dead. And the dates on the paintings? Uh, those are the dates on which they died, Rolf. Each on a day of the full moon. Each kept the rapier beyond the time he should have. Morty. Stasia's eyes were eager and wide. My ears began to ring. I recall setting the cup down. I remember Stasia's voice a long way off. Russian cheese from my friend. And so are Russian legends. <laughs> this is all so fantastic, Ralph. Are you sure it wasn't something you... something you dreamed? Something I dreamed? No, she drugged me. It was no dream. Those portraits were no dream. The painting of Rasputin was no dream. They were there when I woke. Stasia was gone. The fire was on. My head ached. There was an easel near the lamp. It hadn't been there before. I shuffled toward it. There was a fresh painting on the easel. I stared at the face before me. Its eyes were closed in sleep. The face was... mine... There was a date painted in then. It was January 15th. Why? Yes. Yes, that's tonight. I couldn't find Stasia, so I dashed out of the house, cursing like a madman. It was four in the morning when I reached home. Ingrid was waiting for me. She was crying. Rolf! Rolf, darling, where have you been? Why? What difference does it make? You... You've been to see that Kossoff woman. Yes, yes, I've been to see that Kossoff woman. Oh. I had to. I'm losing my mind, Ingrid. Something's trying to kill me. That woman knows about it. She knows how and when it'll happen. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I don't care anymore. I don't care. Rolf, where are you going? Back to the shop. Back to that cursed rapier. In the shop, I tried to reason the thing out. I was toying with the rapier. It was a tiny green speck on the black hilt. Idly, I picked at it with my thumbnail, and the chip of lacquer snapped off. The hilt was supposed to be wood. 
But here, here was what looked like a large emerald. My heart pounding, I chipped and picked at the lacquer until bit by bit I uncovered the most dazzling and richly wrought collection of jewels I'd ever seen. Set in solid gold were pearls, rubies, emeralds, and a magnificent star sapphire. This was the bejeweled blade that Rasputin held in his hand in Stasha's painting. This was Rasputin's rapier. I returned to Stasha's house. Like the first night, the door was ajar. Like the first night, I walked in. I walked into the living room. I looked about. Nothing had changed. Nothing, that is, except that mine was the sixth painting, now hung beside the others. And the art... Easel already had a fresh canvas. Stasha was already painting a new portrait. The face was indistinct. But the date was clear. One lunar month from tonight. I gave up and walked home with the rapier under my arm. It was drizzling and foggy along the waterfront. And I was sick inside. I kept hearing Stasha's voice locked in my brain. Tonight is the last night you may own the rapier off. But there is a way out. A way out? How? There's no way out as long as either of us lives. There is a way out, Rolf. Kill her and come to me. Tonight is the night of the full moon, Rolf. If I own the rapier, you will be safe. Kill her, Rolf. Kill her and come to me. Somebody's following me. A woman. I could hear her high heels on the cobblestones. I'd just passed that little blind alley. You know, the one about a block away from my shop. I decided to trick her. I stopped short. I spun around and caught sight of a woman in black as she darted into the alley. It was Stasha. And there was no exit from that alley. I tiptoed to the entrance and leaped into its shadows. All I could see was a large, empty carton against the far wall. She had to be behind that. I gripped the jeweled handle of the rapier until it burned my hand. Only one searing thought in my tired mind. Stasha must die. I took a deep breath and drew the needle-pointed steel back. Aimed at where I judged a heart to be. And thrust... <laughs> slumped forward. I lit a match to see her face. But it... It wasn't Stasha Karsoff I had killed. It was... Ingrid. My wife. Ingrid. It worked, Stasia. It worked. My plan worked. Ralph reacted just as I planned it. You mean he did it? Killed her? A psychological masterpiece. He told me the whole story at my office ten minutes ago. He killed her thinking it was you. Well, now that she is gone, you are happy. You will love me and forget her then. Oh, perfect, perfect. She, she picked that stupid fool instead of me. Now she's dead and he'll die too. Oh, Denton, I'm so glad. I would do anything Everything for you. went like clockwork. 
This rapier I found in your attic, the, the legend I made up, the phony paintings of former owners, your flirtation, yes. perfect, perfect. <laughs> the perfect murder, I've done it. Did my acting please you, Denton? Oh, you were magnificent, but... There's only one weakness to my plan, Stasia. What is it? When Ralph is picked up, there must be no way for anyone to find out that you and I know each other, Stasia. Oh, I know, and no one will know, darling. Ralph's fingerprints are still on this rapier. You'll be electrocuted for one murder. Might as well be for two. Denton! No! I love you! I'm Denton. sorry, Stasia! I love you. I will wait for you. Very neat stroke, Denton. Ralph! I heard everything you said, Denton. But I didn't have to, I knew. No, don't move. The gun is faster than a rapier. How did you know, Ralph? Something I said tonight? No. No, something I saw. Stasi loved you. The painting I saw on her easel tonight, the one I told you she'd begun, was your portrait. The only way I knew was because, as an artist, she was conscious of the scar on your forehead. She painted that in first. The scar you gave me as a kid. Oh, you've a lot more brains than I gave you credit for, but at least we'll burn together. Sorry, Denton. I'll have to decline that honor. Ralph! Ralph, am I too late? Ingrid! Ingrid, no, you're... You're dead. Ralph! Everything you told me at my house tonight was a lie. No, Denton. Your plan almost worked. I told you the truth. Except, except for the part about murdering Ingrid. You, you should have studied psychiatry, Ralph. I did, Denton. I had a good teacher. You. Are we going home soon, darling? Uh-huh. You seem so far away, Ralph. Is anything wrong? No. No. I've been thinking about Denton. Odd the way things turned out. He made up that story about the rapier and its belonging to Rasputin and its owners dying on the night of the full moon. You don't believe it, do you? No. But what he thought was a cheap blade turns out to be a priceless treasure. It matches the one Rasputin held in his hand in the painting. That was coincidence, darling. Come on, now put your work away. Let's go home. It's late. Mm -hmm. Such a beautiful night, Rolf. Let's walk home. All right. You know... You know that painting Stasia started of Denton? The one that gave his plot away? Yes. It had a date on it. I wonder what ghostly hand guided her brush as she wrote that date. Why? The date she wrote was today's. There's a full moon. 
And tonight was the night Denton was electrocuted. you say that's a story which gets down to fine points? Mm. Happy ending, too. Yes, you get a ghost-to-ghost hookup between Stasia and Denton. Ralph and Ingrid get an Exhibit A worth a few bucks and go back to the old grind. <laughs> well, I'm glad Denton's plot didn't work. Yes, Mary, but if it had, Ralph would have had a plot of his own, you know, in a cemetery. After all, that's one of the best-selling plots I know of. Oh, nonsense, Mr. Host. If you think that's the kind of thought we want to leave our Lipton listeners with, you're quite wrong. Here's a much better thought for folks to carry away with them. Tomorrow, when you visit the grocers, get a package of Lipton tea. Buy it, try it, and see if you don't agree that Lipton's brisk flavor gives you extra enjoyment. Oh, yes, there's a great treat in store for you when you first taste Lipton's full-bodied, zestful goodness. Ask your grocer for a package of Lipton tea tomorrow. And now, friends, in case you're wondering, we do have a moral for tonight's story. It's short and sharp. Knife can be beautiful if you keep your temper and look out for people with an axe to grind. They may be trying to get ahead of you. <laughs> oh, by the way, this month's inner sanctum mystery novel is The Pavilion by Hilda Lawrence. And next week, the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup bring you another grisly inner sanctum tale directed by Hyman Brown and titled The Confession. And now, if you'll excuse me, I have an appointment with Stasia and Denton. Yes, they've got the concession for hand-forged hinges where it's hotter than the hinges of... Hmm? <laughs> Until next Tuesday, then. Good night. Pleasant dreams? Hmm? <laughs> And don't forget to tune in next Tuesday night for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Scary, hmm? Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Time now for Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Good health to all from Rexall. It's the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, presented by the makers of Rexall drug products and 10,000 independent Rexall family druggists. Good health to all from Rexall. Now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. (laughs) 
Yesterday, the Rexall Company's board of directors had a special meeting to discuss a proposed television show. It concerns Phil and Alice. So let's go back to yesterday's meeting. Mr. Scott is speaking. And so, gentlemen, I'm in favor of doing a television show starring Phil Harris. But, J.S., do you think it's advisable to let the public see what Harris looks like? (laughs) Oh, he doesn't look that bad. (laughs) Besides, I don't think we'll get any complaints as long as we don't put the show on around dinner time. This might be all right for television. I don't care much for him personally, but he seems to go great with the women. My wife raves about him. She thinks he's a fine actor, very funny comedian, and a splendid singer. Your wife? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know you were married. I've been over to your house a number of times. I've never met your wife. I know, sir. We keep her up in the attic. <laughs> A wise move. (laughs) Well, gentlemen, let's at least test Harris for television. Very well. Let's have a few cameras at his radio rehearsal tomorrow and see how he photographs. Mommy, what's taking Daddy so long to come down this morning? Oh, he's getting dressed for our rehearsal. They're televising it today, and he wants to look good for the cameras. What's Daddy going to wear? I don't know, but he's a smart showman. He's been watching television for years now, and he knows what the public likes. Phil, are you ready? I reckon I'm a hanker to hit the trail, Ma. (laughs) Phil, what are you made up for? What have you got on? I belong Cassidy outfit, gal. I know what plays in television. Take that outfit off. Stop showing your cut, woman. <laughs> Just saddle your pinto Clyde and let's head for the old video corral. Gee, Daddy, you don't look like Hoppy. You make a silly looking cowboy. Smile when you say that, little beaver. Oh, Phil, you don't have to be a cowboy. There are a lot of things you can do to be successful in television. Like what? Well, you can either be a wrestler, give cooking lessons, or become a talking dragon. I could become a marching cigarette, too. <laughs> Look, I can't miss being a big hit as a cowboy. All I need is a catchy name like Hopalong Cassidy. But it should be a name that fits my character, though. How about Stagger Around Harris? <laughs> Well, if it ain't the dude from Horner's Corner. <laughs> Come on in, tenderhead. <laughs> Pull up a hot brand and iron and sit down. Philip, what on earth are you doing in that cowboy suit? Well, we're auditioning our show for television, and he thinks this is the best way to do it. Well, Philip, if you insist on going into television, don't mimic anybody. Be yourself. I know that sounds dull, but with good writing, you might pull me the over. Don't worry about me. Alice is the one we have to worry about. Me? Yeah. I know you'll photograph. After all, you're not Betty Grable and... Hold it! (laughs) Makes you think Betty Grable would be better than me in television. Oh, she can't miss. She's got a lot of personality. 
I've got just as much personality. She's very photogenic. I'm just as photogenic. She's still in pictures. Ah, you fought it takes four-way cool tablet. <laughs> You'd rather have Betty Grable on the show instead of oh, me. Oh, honey, I... stop I... with that. I'm only kidding. Oh, I don't know. I don't want anybody but you, baby. Nuts about you. No. <laughs> ah, kid, you're my everything. <laughs> you couldn't live without me, could you? Oh, I could live without you. I just have to go to work. That's all. <laughs> You're going to be great in television, honey. I can't wait to hear you sing. Neither can I, so I'll do it right now. Look what you done, what you done, my baby. Look what you done, what you done, my child. Look what you done, what you done, my baby. You done gone and told me a lie. You told a lie, I believed you Look what you've done to my heart You told a lie, I believed you I was a fool from the start I thought that you and I would be together Make a very dashing cowboy. Oh, I'll get that. That's probably Frankie. Oh, Willie sees me in this outfit. Oh, you'll love it. Hi, Curly. I thought... Howdy, Stronger. <laughs> you must be the new marshal down from Red Gulch. Huh? <laughs> or are you the Redskin Scout from the Apache tribe? Yeah, me Redskin. <laughs> What's with pale face? Got snoot full fire water? I'll be an Albuquerque rug merchant. <laughs> Just pretending that I'm a cowboy. You see, Frankie, I got a new deal cooking. Yeah. And I... So we better get started for the... 
Oh, hello, Frankie. I said hello, Frankie. Well, don't stand there. Say something. Pontiac, fine car. What's going on here? He say, he cowboy, me Indian. Me no ask questions, me go along with gag. Uh. <laughs> All right, turn it off, running water. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a gag. Remley, I got news for you. I'm going into television. Just think. Instead of having to watch them old movies, the public's going to get to look at Phil Harris. Oh, those lucky people. <laughs> Alice, do you realize how fortunate you are being the wife of the greatest boon to mankind since rubber pants? <laughs> I'm just thrilled to pieces. The eighth wonder of the world, and he's all mine. Wait. <laughs> what do you mean, eight? According to the last telephone survey, I was third. <laughs> Just two-tenths of a point behind the Grand Canyon. <laughs> now, come on, let's get out that rehearsal. The band's going to be waiting for it. And so, fellas, that's why I got down here to see you early. You see, I want you all to look your best when they test you for television. And that's why... All right. All right, knock it off. Break it up. Will you stop beeping? They're paying scale now. <laughs> now are there any questions? Yes. What's television? <laughs> What's television? Artie, you must have seen it in your natural habitat, the bar room. I know you've seen it there. I don't go to bar rooms anymore. Since when? Since the brewery put a pipeline into my apartment. <laughs> pipeline into your... I wonder what the installation charge is. <laughs> now look, fellas, when you get in front of them cameras, I want you to try and look presentable, will you? Yeah. If you want the boys to look presentable... Why don't you let me design uniforms for them? Wait a minute. What kind of uniforms? Well, well, I have something very colorful in mind, Frankie. You'll look very smart in royal blue best jackets, a maroon sash around the waist, and yellow trousers with a brocaded stripe down the side. Well, la di da That sounds cute to me. Hey, Alice. Can I have epaulets on mine to show I'm the leader? <laughs> All this fuss about uniforms and how we're going to look. I don't see why you're so anxious to go into television anyway, Curly. You won't be able to sing. What are you talking about? I'm still going to sing. But, Curly, you can't do that on television. As soon as you open your mouth and they see your throat, you'll give the whole thing away. <laughs> what whole thing? Everybody will see you got a trained frog down there doing the same thing. Hey, Frankie, hmm? I'll make a deal with you. What? If you keep quiet about my trained frog, I won't say nothing about the monkey who's playing your guitar from the inside. <laughs> now tune up that monk while I run over the song I'm going to do, son. <laughs>
the morning Out on the job Work like the devil for my pay But that lucky old son Got nothing to do But rule around him all day Show me that river Take me across Wash all my troubles away Like that lucky old son Give me nothing to do But rule around heaven That's about time you showed up. <laughs> I got the television camera set up, and I know exactly what we're going to do. Grimly. Nobody asked you. Nobody ever does, but I'm telling you anyway. <laughs> now, here's my idea. Please, I... please, we don't need your help, so keep your anemic little mind inactive. <laughs> and your big, fat mouth shut. 
I've decided what kind of a show we're going to do. Bravissimo, Mr. Scott. We're going to do something novel, something that has never been done before. The Adventures of a Private Eye. Oh, that's indeed novel, sir. <laughs> yeah. There hasn't been a new private eye show on the air for nigh on a half an hour. <laughs> What's different about a private eye? The way we approach it. I bought a script with a very unusual slant. Uh, Harris, you've heard of the famous radio detectives Richard Diamond and Sam Spade? Yeah. Well, you're going to be known as Harry Hart. <laughs> Harry Hart. And I'll be your assistant, Cornelius Club. <laughs> and I'll be your secretary, Nora No Trump. Well, let's get started with the play now. Whose deal is it? <laughs> I'll thank you people not to get corny. We're corny. Who wrote this thing? A poker dealer at the Flamingo Club? <laughs> I bought it from a brilliant young writer. He's a genius. He'll be over a little later to help with it. Well, wait a minute now. What character do I play in this thing? Well, you're a red-headed Irish detective. You're tough, you're good-looking, and you're irresistible to women. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know who this writer is, but he's captured the real me. <laughs> only one thing that bothers me. I ain't a redhead. That ain't the only thing you ain't. <laughs> Let's try it anyway. Remley, you play the part of Mr. Harris's stupid assistant. Which proves the writer captured your character, too. <laughs> Miss Faye, you play the part of an alluring, seductive young siren. Every man who looks at you goes mad about you. Now you've struck a nerve, Doc. <laughs> All right, let's try it in front of the cameras now. As the scene opens, Harris, you're on the trail of a murder. And you're about to enter a bookstore that is owned by Miss Faye. Now remember, play it tough and fearless like Sam Spade. Okay. All right. We'll start with the sound of footsteps as Harris and Remley approach the bookstore. There, well, here's the bookstore, Jake. <laughs> there we going in. Of course we are. Come on, sweetheart. Uh, but, Chief, it might be a trap. Trap, snap. Uh, that's what I mean. They might snap the trap. Remember, you don't have to play it that stupid. <laughs> Too much. Little broad. Now, come on, let's go in. Hey, Chief, get a load of that good-looking tomato behind the counter. Yeah, better let me talk to her. Hiya, sweetheart. Uh, what can I do for you? Take fun? Get your foot off the gas, you're racing your motor. Look, sweetheart, I just came in here to tell you that... Oh, you irresistible brute, you. <laughs> I love you madly. Take me in your arms and kiss me. Kiss me. Kiss me. Playing hard to get, eh? 
<laughs> Look, sweetheart, I just came in to buy a book. A book? Oh, you fool, you. <laughs> Take me in your arms and caress me. Caress me. Is this what happens when you walk into a store to buy a book? <laughs> All these years, I've been letting the Book of the Month Club stand. <laughs> you can't act that way at home. here forever if you keep acting that way. Come over here and kiss me, you great big blob of man. All right, if you insist, okay. But you better brace yourself, sweetheart, because I'm rough and I'm tough, and I got a terrific strength on account of my belt. Now put your arms around me. Tighter. Tighter. Is uh, this tight enough, lover? Yes. Yeah. Please, Alice, you're bruising me. Uh, sweetheart, I'm going to kiss you. And don't fight me because I'm irresistible. I'm seductive. Yeah, I'm stupid. <laughs> you take a part like this. All right. Now, look, sweetheart. I'm on the trail of a murderer, and I suspect he's hiding out here. Uh, don't be a ridiculous. <laughs> this is just a bookstore, and my husband and I live in the back. We're quite harmless. What was that? My husband's burping the baby. <laughs> well, I get it, your husband, eh? Well, that's the guy I'm after. All right, come on out. And don't make a false move because I got you covered. I want to talk to you. What's on your mind, Mac? <laughs> Julia, what are you doing here? What I'm you... the young genius that wrote the script. Nothing. Shall we continue? Oh, all right. Now, look, baby face. I got you covered, so you might as well put your gun away. Wait a minute. That gun looks like the murder weapon. I'm going to check. Push me one of them bullets out of that gun. Okay. <laughs> You shot the chief, but you won't get away. I'm still here. Uh, I had to open my big mouth. Uh, nice shot, baby face. Yeah, I thanked that one. And now, Swanley, come into my arms and let me kiss you and kiss you and kiss you. And... we better sit down, Miss P. This goes on for two pages. You can stop now. This whole thing is childish. For the present, Rexall will forget television and stick with our radio show. All right, Harrison Remley, you can get up now. I said you can get up now. <laughs> Julius, why don't they get up? I don't know. Unless it's because I use real bullets. <laughs> Julius, you did... 
Did you, my boy? <laughs> Good night, folks. Tune in next week and listen to the Rexall Show starring Julius Abruzio and the widow, Faye. <laughs> Good health to all from Rexall. Hey, it's too bad we're not going to go into that television, Mr. Scott. I bet I looked terrific in those cameras, didn't I? No. <laughs> no, the only one who looked good was you, Miss Faye. You look beautiful. Rexall will be proud to have your lovely face associated with our wonderful products. When your gorgeous blonde hair and those beautiful blue eyes are seen on the screen, I know that... Yeah, 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 now about me. Bill, Bill, Bill. Don't interrupt the sponsor. He's in the midst of the best commercial he's ever done. You won't have any trouble selling me to the public either. My looks ain't only attractive, but they're commercial too. Remember, you can depend on any head. That bears the face of Phil Harris. This program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. Buy Rexall's MI-31 if you want a famous mouthwash at less cost. Here's why. Many other antiseptics come in 12 or 14-ounce bottles. But Rexall gives you 16 ounces of MI-31, a full pint, at the same price as other leading brands of smaller quantity. It's one more example of Rexall's creed. Always a little better, always a little more. Ask for Rexall MI-31 at the store with the orange and blue Rexall sign on the window. And remember, you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Richard Diamond, the private detective, followed by the great Gildersleeve. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.